0: Afterthought on CKUW 95.9 FM. My name
1: is Erica Wee and I'm Lynn Fernandez. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at afterthought that's one word at ckuw.ca.
0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Afterthought. Today is June the 7th, 2022, and my name is Erica Weeb. Today we are talking about Rot, uh, spelled W-R-O-U-G-H-T, Rot, which is the name of a new short film produced and directed by Winnipeggers Joel Penner and Anna Sigrether. They are my guests today. Um, I've known Joel for about 15 years. He was youth editor for a time in a community newspaper in the West End that I edited, which was called West Central Streets. He always had a strong interest in photography and then he started doing time-lapse videos of rotting organic matter. I think in the early days it was mostly flowers, which presumably he got from his parents' yard. He would film them continuously from all the way from robust health through to complete decay. And to me, it seemed like a completely original art form that turned the idea of decay from a thing of disdain to a thing of beauty. Now in this new film, Rot, I can see how much Joel has built on that original concept and taken it to a whole new level. I found Rot to be spectacular actually, just beautiful. And dare I say, moving in a strange kind of a way with the music and the poetic narration layered over top of artful, colorful, continuously morphing, extremely close-up and detailed visuals of organic matter rotting. I highly recommend this film, and at the end of this episode, we're going to give you details about the premiere that's coming up in Winnipeg. Joel is behind the visuals, but his co-creator, Anna Sigrether, wrote and spoke the narration. After watching the film, I was left with a bunch of questions for both Joel and Anna, so let's get to it. Thanks both of you for joining me, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Erica. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Alright, I'm going to start with you, Joel. Can you go back to those very early days, which were about, I think about 15 years ago, is that, or yeah. maybe a little less, yeah. yeah, and how this all started for you, like what got you inspired to start filming rotting things?
2: Um, I think that, as I understand it, it was sort of like I'd been doing as a teenager, taking photos in Winnipeg's uh, gritty West End, and looking at the beauty in um, the, these decrepit landscapes. And from that, I sort of got on to, um, I also have always loved like nature, so I sort of started to take photos of uh, flowers and stuff, and I started getting into time-lapse, and I forget exactly how I had the idea, but it was just, I just thought it would be... to start looking at them uh, dying and i had been getting into scanner photography where you use scanners to take photos of things and so i just started doing time lapses of flowers decaying and then i made videos with those and then from that i got on to like vegetables and fruits oh yeah stuff right like that.
0: Yeah. yeah so were you thinking at that time in terms of the artistic value here were or were you thinking in terms of or were you interested in just what was happening scientifically by bio- biologically that kind of thing
2: or a bit of both a bit of both probably most like primarily the artistic yeah. value of it but also just the yeah i love the science as well and, like what's right. actually
0: happening okay and since then from then to now there's been quite a period of time that has elapsed mm-hmm. and like what is your like has that process developed in the meantime and like have you learned stuff
2: I've learned a lot of I've been doing the time lapse this time lapse project that I when I started it I called it momentary vitality I've been doing that for around 10 years and yeah I've learned a lot just about how I don't know how things behave artistically, what makes for like a good shot, um, a ton about editing and how you actually produce a film with like grants and stuff and collaborations. And um, yeah, just like every aspect of filmmaking.
0: Yeah. a lot about. Like, did you learn it all on your own or did you, did you study it at all? Did you Yeah, it's mostly,
2: classes? yeah, all, yeah, I didn't, it's all sort of informal.
0: Self-taught. Yeah. Wow. And I'm imagining that your setup must be, must be something like yeah can you describe it
2: it's complicated it's sort of for the for rot it was almost sort of like 70 80 percent done with scanners and then the rest done with just normal cameras and some microscopic stuff so sort of at the height of it a couple years ago when i was when we were doing a lot of the fruit time lapses i would have like sort of five to ten scanners going constantly for weeks or months on end, capturing rotting fruit. And there would be, for the first while, I lost a lot of scanners because the juices would get into the electronics. Yeah, <laughs> And then a friend taught me how to um, sort of like make cocked uh, plexiglass enclosures on them. And so then we used those to get these fruit time lapses without ruining the electronics and also the animal stuff that we did. So a lot of it was sort of done in the basement, but then we also had for doing some of the rotting animals, we built a, a rot box. So we in um, Anna's parents' backyard, we made an insulated box to contain the bugs and the smells and stuff. Do you
0: know anybody else who's doing this kind of work?
2: Um, I've seen some people, there's a lot of stuff online with people just taking photos with scanners. Um, and then I saw, yeah, they just pr- produce, it's like very well lit and you get, for the cost of the scanner, it's just very high quality images. And I saw one research paper once about this paper teaching people how to take time lapses of microbes growing in Petri dishes. But I this is definitely the first film made with scanners. Yeah, it hasn't really been used for time lapse much.
0: I think you've talked about the fact that your work is being known and recognized far beyond Winnipeg and that you've been to film festivals and perhaps won an award. Can you talk about that?
2: The yeah, creation. we just had the... Um, ROTS launch at the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula, Montana, so it was the world premiere, which is a, kind of a big deal in, in the world of film festivals, and we won the New Visions Award, and wow. had a lot of fun just sharing the film with a lot of other really great filmmakers yeah. and the amazing people who run the festival. Yeah,
0: so it went pretty well, hey? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was a really fun festival. It was, you know, full of people who also had a lot of, like, commitment and interest in, you know, thinking and being with the natural world, and and that was just a great group of people to be around, especially for our film, where, you know, it's a a bit of an odd film. It's hard to categorize.
0: No, for sure. Uh, Was the film festival sort of uh, themed around that kind of, like, did it have that kind of theme?
1: Yeah, well, it is a wildlife film huh, festival. Right, so yeah. a lot of like, you know, wildlife documentaries and things mm-hmm. like that. But, um, you know, it was it was it was great. It was the first festival that accepted our film because it is kind of a kind of an oddball. It doesn't fit easily into a category. And so just the fact that these people, you know, who are really committed to some of these bigger ecological concerns saw the value in our film, I think was really nice to have that that acknowledged you know, part of that part of our vision of the film is is very much that.
0: So Anna, you, you wrote the narration and you spoke it at, um, for the film too. Is that is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. I found it very poetic and very very beautiful the narration. I'm just wondering how you, and I'm assuming it came the visuals came first and then and then the the uh, narration after. And how did the, how, how, what was that process mm-hmm. like?
1: Right. Well, I think it's um it's an interesting question to think like you know, what came first and when why I have to really think about that a little bit. I think in some senses, um, I mean, largely it was very back and forth. So it was, you know, the visuals um, informed the writing and then the writing informed the visuals. So that there was a lot of back and forth. Mm. I would say kind of on the broader scale, the, the the story actual, sort of like the concepts as I had organized them as I was developing the story for the film, did sort of provide the main structure through which the visuals were, like laid out and organized. But then as far as like getting into the more granular, like writing fine lines, then I was like trying to like allude, you know, to what we were seeing, trying to like make some metaphorical connections between like, you know, the shifting kind of abstract juice flows and what that could sort of mean or concepts that we could start to bring out in the the audience's eyes. So yeah, it really was a back and forth.
0: Right, and the, the film is sort of divided into four, Four, I think you call them chapters,
1: mm-hmm. right? So they're spoil, ferment, compost, and rot. Right. And the reason that we had those four chapters, or those were sort of the four cat, like, categories, it, it, they're, they're different social processes. So, I mean, microbes are a contiguous, you know, reality of the world. Microbes are everywhere. They're covering every surface of nearly everything. Um, And over time and evolution, humans have learned how to coexist with them in different ways. And this gets reflected in kind of our cultural processes, social processes around microbes. So we have fermentation, which is sort of limiting rotting. We have composting, which is limiting rotting in a kind of different way. We have spoilage, which is when rot kind of creeps in in ways we don't want. And then we have rot, which really has moral undertones and is this existential threat. And so these were sort of the four social processes and sort of cultural connotations that came really to the fore in, in, um, in my thinking while writing the film. And so that was sort of reflected through that. And, it was, and then it was sort of a back and forth process with Joel and myself figuring out you know, how to represent these things visually. Right,
0: interesting. So, and there is that theme running through uh, the film, I think, and uh, as you call it, the quote unquote things going bad, as you call them, uh, hold, it holds a much greater purpose than we humans tend to notice, right? And and in these four distinct ways, as you've been talking about, and you say, quote, in a world obsessed with growth, we overlook these tender possibilities of decay, unquote. Can you say more about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, like, rot. one of the reasons that... Um really drew me to work on this project with joel and i think the reason that we decided to actually like really call it rot and focus in on rot rather than entropy or whatever else you might call it is this it it is this specific term rot that has it is culturally loaded it is unambiguously bad it is unambiguously tied to the idea of physical contamination which has this really close kind of psychological link to the idea of moral contamination and here we're getting into some of these bigger concepts when we say something's rotten we say something's spoiled it can mean two things but they have very very close kind of meanings so there's a lot to play with there and then but the thing is that there is what we wanted to do with the film visually and then also sort of rhetorically is pull out some nuance so there's like this easy dualism with morality where things are good or bad things are pure or they're contaminated, right? But going bad, this idea of morality is always subjective for one. So to whom is something going bad? A lot of the time, you know, people who are in power have a different idea of what's bad than the people that they're oppressing for one thing. And then on the other sort of material side of things, so we, we understand that um, rot is also like a really elemental necessary force on, of, of transformation, of recycling on this earth. And so, with rot, there would be no life. There would, like, rot really redistributes matter. And so, to get to your question, the, um, the notion of rot as sort of the, this counteractant to growth was, came to me, like, sort of through writing the film, as really sort of the central, one of the central messages that I wanted to dig at, sort of, and, and as a way of pulling out some moral complexity of the notion as a metaphor of kind of refusal of capitalism, of these cycles of endless growth that we're currently kind of facing the consequences of as a global, ecological, social, political system. Um, and so rot, I really do think can be like an interesting model and metaphor to talk about like degrowth, um, closed economies, uh, closed loop economies. Um, mm. Yeah, and so that's, that's, really, that's really the message um, with that part.
0: Going back to the word rot, W R O U um, G H T, like I, I tend to think of like wrought iron or wrought, mm-hmm. which means um, when you when you manipulate or form or create something new out of a piece of iron, and so yeah, can you talk about that kind of uh, literal meaning of that word or that specific meaning?
1: Yeah, definitely, and that sort of goes back to the decision to focus on Rot sort of as the subject of the film R.O.T., as the subject of the film over just um, sort of organic or passive or entropic transformation, which I think was the subject of Joel's previous works, is because Rot is really this, um, it is a multi-species interaction. It is this encounter. It is the work of transformation and change. And Rot, W-R-O-U-G-H-T, is the archaic past tense of the verb to work. So we used it in the sense of wrought iron because it has worked iron, as you said. It's, you know, a smith would have worked it. Um, and so we really wanted to zero in on this idea, this idea of, like, in a, in some senses, like, the labor, the sort of microbial labor, the human labor that goes into these encounters, these transformations, centering that not only through sort of, like, a labor politics standpoint, but just, like, as this, like, embodiment, sort of corporeal um, actions that are being taken constantly on this earth and and the transformations that they that they wreak
0: so you do incorporate animals at one point um animals fish birds dead ones Mm -hmm. and as i'm watching i'm thinking Oh, are they going to have a uh, disclaimer at the end? <laughs> sure enough, there was a disclaimer. <laughs> no animals were harmed in the production of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume that you managed to find a way to round up all these things. <laughs> I saw in the credits at the end that there were various people that... Yeah. Uh, yeah. People that contributed.
2: Yeah, so we had... Um, for First of all, we had um, some roadkill in it. So we would go on like drives in the country to find roadkill. Um, we put a, put a call out for friends to find roadkill for us. So for a while we were getting calls and texts from our friends who would, um, say like, there's like a dead, like cat or whatever here, or like, <laughs> and sometimes we go out to get them.
1: Somebody's placenta. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we had, um, yeah, a friend donate her placenta. To the film, mm. it was right at the end, and we didn't know whether to take it because editing the film took so much work, and we both sort of like we like to pile like more and more things on, and so then of course you never finish. Yeah, you have um, to
0: you have to sort of stop at <laughs> some point. Stop yeah. At some
2: point, um, but we took it, and so that's sort of like in a split second in the credits, um, and then we also had some uh, very generous local pet owners who who donated their dead pets to the film. What else? I think that basically, and then
0: birds would be easy to find around yeah, here. I would think.
2: Yeah, there was one bird that flew into my window. Unfortunately, like ten years, like eight years ago or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah.
0: Yeah. So 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 that that was that something new for you to incorporate uh, as you call them. What did you call them? Things with mothers. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that what you creatures said? with mothers? Creatures with mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and maybe that was a little bit of a uh, brave thing for you to do, like, yeah. I mean, I, as you as sort of indicate in the film, it's sort of this whole ick factor that people have. And then when you incorporate animals, they, you know, it might be even more of an ew it, kind of thing. It was
2: totally that. And I, one of the first, there's a pigeon in it that I found on the ground about maybe six or seven years ago. And I remember I had it being scanned in um, sort of like a shack in the backyard. And there was one day where I just saw like a swarm of flies around it because they were trying to get in, and I just felt like I wanted to throw up because it was just so gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, you have to like it all. It all stinks, and you have to find freezer space and like roommates and um, yeah. other people. You have to start, there's the politics of negotiating freezer space, and then of course these things can be in the freezer for a while, and then people want it out of the freezer because they're dead animals. Right. Um, it's totally worth
0: it yeah it's sort of <laughs> taking it to another level yeah and to help you tell the story eh?
1: well yeah i mean i think just one thing that the animals i think evoke and actually kind of tr- evoke and, and provoke on a maybe more like a level that's almost kind of crossing a line right like it almost feels a little transgressive to be depicting animals yeah. in a state of decay versus plants versus whatever um that's obviously like a subjective thing but, it, but it, it brings that out and I think that that's actually kind of important that we that the film does that. It troubles this, makes you question disgust a little bit. Disgust is one of these things that is, it's actually cultural, it's not biologically innate. So we all have sort of different set points of what is disgusting, what isn't. It's very much culturally influenced. And so we kind of wanted to just push that a little bit and say, you know, if on one hand, maybe it's not so bad, but on the other hand, maybe there's a good reason that it is. So I think it kind of leaves you a little unsettled, hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and also, not overly grossed out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and also because, um, like, I, as the film points out with the narration, animals are obviously, they're closer to us, obviously. But I've been thinking about it in terms of sort of honoring their lives as well. That it's, um, like, I think some people might see it as a bit gratuitous. But, yeah, for me, it's sort of like, here are these, like, animals... That we found as roadkill, which is obviously just really sad, and in showing them in the film, it's sort of like I don't know, celebrating. Their For life sure,
0: that is the feeling that I got yeah, after yeah. watching it. And there's that one little section where uh, there's uh, worms that are sort of nestled up against each other uh, on. I think it's in an animal or on an animal. That was you know quite sweet. So I mean, it's, there's much more to it than just the yuck factor, Mm -hmm. once you take a really close look at it, right? Um, Anna, this is one thing you say in in the narration. Quote, in the compost heap, I'm fine with such violent disarray, but come my time to dissolve, my time to resolve, I am far less brave. Why do you think we are far less brave when it comes to thinking about exactly these same things in relationship to ourselves, and in fact we go to lengths in order to slow down human decomposition, like with embalming and with these elaborate Mm -hmm. burial systems with coffins and things. Uh, What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a really big question. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a cultural anthropologist of death or anything. So I can't, I can't speak on it sort of like in a global level. um, Although I think that there are like around the world, global traditions that deal with, you know, come out of a place of sort of trying to manage pathogens um, coming from, you know, like deceased bodies and sort of how, how do we culturally manage these things to so as to prevent the spread of disease. And so there's a lot of that. But I think there's also just this very basic sort of human universal existential dread, fear of death, like fear of the unknown. We don't know what comes after us. We all see ourselves as quite a bit more than just a, a body of flesh and bone. Um, but you know, when we when the life leaves us, that is that's what's there.
0: When it gets down to it, that's that's what's there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think there's just a little bit of dread there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I think it's you know a multi multi uh, I was gonna say multi million uh, multi century multi millennia long human pursuit to kind of think about these things. So mm-hmm. we're just another one in the step of humans thinking about these things in the yeah. film.
0: But I feel we, like we also just tend to see humans as um, somehow, I think it goes back to superiority over nature, mm-hmm. just because birds and animals and plants decompose, and and we are quite comfortable with that. Uh, somehow we're not so comfortable with it when it comes to ourselves.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'll just share really briefly, because this is, I mean, for me and my journey of, like, thinking about all of these subjects that I've been thinking about for well over a decade now with my own work. Um, The reason that I even started thinking this way towards rot was having, I had this very profound experience walking past a patch of rotting mushrooms on the grass. And I just had this instant feeling of kind of just like a, a, just paradigm shift come over my mind where I felt this strong, strong, strong desire to kind of be in and amongst those mushrooms and had this like yearning to be, you know, decayed by them to have this like and really it was sort of evident for me in that moment that there is this kind of like luxuriousness this like this kind of holiness to that idea you know in a secular way um and it really like it stuck with me to this day I still have that feeling
0: interesting well there are new uh new kinds of cemeteries developing across across this country, at least, uh, that I've heard of, where people can just be buried with something, some kind of organic material wrapped around them into the ground, and there you go. I've, I've seen one of them in BC, actually, oh, wow. and they're just beautiful settings with them. There's plaques with everybody's names on them, but tends to make a lot of sense, I think, in some ways. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, I, I want to get to the music, too, before we have to go. Uh, who wrote the music?
2: Um, Randolph Peters and uh, Joshua Makiwa. Um We had uh, two friends who had done um, a previous version of the music for the film. Teresa Thordarson, I think. And Ava uh, Glenden. Glendinning. Glendinning. When Randolph came along, um, we actually incorporated their music into the film where he sort of processed them and used their songs as samples in the film, sort of like riffing off of the theme of decay. That was really neat.
0: Yeah, the music just added so much to the the whole story. And I mean, at times it was sort of like horror music. (laughs) And then towards the end, it became very celebratory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it was a, a very cool addition to the whole to the whole thing.
2: Yeah, and um, Randolph actually, he teaches at uh, York University uh, Composition and so he actually did it as a class project where he got the class to score the film or to do different uh, chapters and then together we chose sort of the one that we thought stood out the best and then that became um, Joshua's part which was a quarter of the film so it was just a a really neat process to have that become Mm. part of his teaching as well.
0: Right, and who performed it? Like who? who,
2: who, who? Um, I think uh, Joshua performed his part, and then Randolph. I guess he's a multi instrumentalist, so he sort of did a combination of like digital instruments and also just recording himself playing. Right. Um,
1: we we were so lucky to get Randolph on this project. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, because he's kind of a known composer, isn't he?
1: Yeah. yeah, he's he's unbelievably accomplished and yeah. and talented, and like just to have him come on board mm-hmm. and and believe in this film. You know, when we were kind of at a at our at our midway point, I guess I would say at this point. <laughs> and yeah, I think it just it brought it to this like this level that we couldn't you know we couldn't have imagined. Wow. Yeah,
2: and at that point, a couple years ago, we were sort of thinking that it was going to be done soon, and then when he came on board. We sort of said okay like this is too good of an opportunity to pass up and then that was that three years ago
1: yeah it was before covid remember because i remember when covid came around and we were like talking to randolph and we were like it'll be done soon
2: <laughs> yeah and it was also so cool because he is such a experienced composer that like he really believed in the project and he really wanted to be a part of it so that was so cool to have somebody who has so much experience with like fine arts across the world essentially and to have him yeah, just be passionate about our project.
0: No kidding. Yeah, really that's was great. Okay, we want to make sure and let people know about uh, the Winnipeg premiere, right, that's coming up. Do you want to tell people uh, where and when and what's going to happen there?
2: Yeah, um, it's um, at the West End Cultural Center on June 27th and 28th um, from 6 to 10 p.m. Um, and it's free, donations are accepted, and you can get tickets at rotfest.eventbrite.ca so w-r-o-u-g-h-t fest.eventbrite.ca
0: great and so you're going to show the film and then you're going to have a discussion
2: Mm -hmm. we're going to do um artist talks with us and then randolph and uh joshua's coming in from toronto as well and then we're going to have a microbial gala afterwards with different booths so there's Next Friend Cider in the city, who, and uh, Jesse with Next Friend Cider does naturally fermented ciders, so he's going to be talking about what he does with that, and then we're going to be doing microbial selfies where you put your hand on agar, and then you get a picture of your microbes having grown. Yeah,
1: I can just briefly mention we'll also have Gatto sourdough, which is another fermented food. We have loaf and honey, also a lo- uh, local um, artisanal long fermented cheese makers. We're going to have compost Winnipeg. We're going to have elder Audrey Logan from the Deer Spirit Garden talking about like different soils and and permacultural gardening methods. Oh, we're going to have um, Tom Nagy from Red River City Mushrooms doing a little mushroom workshop. And yeah, and we're going to have some natural wines and we're going to have Jesse's Cider made from, you know, Winnipeg grown crab apples and other fruits. And we'll probably have some little appetizers. So it's going to be a really, really fun like interactive event, and that's gonna be just on the Monday night. So the first of the two the two night runnings will have the microbial gala.
0: Okay, that sounds great. So June the twenty seventh and twenty twenty seventh and twenty
2: eighth.
0: All right, well, mm-hmm. thanks both of you very much uh, for coming on the show today. Um, and I really encourage people to see this film. it's it's just uh, it's it's eye opening and uh, really beautiful. To see, uh, and that's about it for today. You've been listening to Afterthought on CKUW ninety five point nine FM. My name is Erica Weeb, and today I've been talking to Joel Penner and Anna Sigrathur. You can catch all Afterthought episodes anytime on podcast at Apple or Spotify, and you can get in touch with us about any comments or feedback or ideas at afterthought at ckuw.ca. Thanks again for listening and talk to you again next time.